This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by Rachel Hollis, best-selling author, social media star, and super freaking privileged Rachel Hollis. I'm Scott Borchetta. <laughs> and I'm Scooter Braun. And this is Ear Buddies. That's right, it's Ear Buddies. Two white men with opinions about talented women. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I need to come clean to our listeners. <laughs> I'm not Scooter Braun. Uh, yeah, and I'm not Scott Bruschetta. But you're right, Tim. It is, uh, we are operating from uh, probably, you know, the exact same <laughs> mindset, I suppose, as those two buddies do. Um, and uh, excited to excited to tie this little opening bit into the body of, of this episode. Here goes the last great American podcast. Welcome to Ear Buddies. That's just another intro that I thought of. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it. It's uh, Matt and Tim. We're two pals. Um, you know, uh, isn't it just so pretty to think that all along <laughs> there was some invisible string tying you to me, Matt? So, those are Taylor Swift lyrics, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I think isn't I think she got that from like. F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> Probably. So I was I was confused for a moment um, <laughs> because of my of how cultured I am, and because yeah. I I get that she you know I I get both of those things. So I kind of um, anyway. Let's You're a let's book just guy. yeah. Let's blow past this. Okay, we're talking today about Taylor Swift. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Hey, now we got. Uh, you know her, you love her. She's all over the news, and for good reason. Uh, Matt, what's what's the big deal with Taylor these days? Oh boy. Uh, you know, this girl, she's always in the news in one way or another. Uh, but I have to say that this particular news cycle, um, I am firmly on Team Taylor. Here's why. She is fighting for ownership of her masters. And beyond that, uh, it seems that she sort of has abandoned the fight um, and is doing something crazy, which is called re-recording six of her albums in their entirety um, so that she can own outright her songs. So, okay, let's back up a little bit and just put this in context for folks who don't know. Uh, Taylor Swift, obviously everybody knows Taylor Swift, biggest songwriter, singer, uh, probably of the century, I'd say, in terms of success and prominence. Um, and she got her start very young, and signed a record deal with Big Machine Records. And in almost every case, when you sign a record label, uh, a record deal as an artist, you 
are signing away the rights to the ownership rights to what are called masters. And that is the recording of the song. It's not the songwriting. Taylor Taylor owns that because she wrote these songs. So so she has the publishing rights. But the the songs themselves that were actually put down uh, on tape or whatever belong to Big Machine Records. And so for six albums worth, she recorded with Big Machine. Then she got on Republic Records in 2019, where now she owns her new masters. Since 2019, she owns both the publishing and the masters rights to her new stuff. The big sticking point here is that Scott Borchetta, who owned Big Big Machine Records, sold Taylor Swift's first six albums worth of masters to a guy named Scooter Braun. Now, why is that a problem, Matt? The issue is that because Big Machine owned um, her masters outright, um, now having sold to Scooter Braun, now Scooter owns these these masters. And according to Taylor, she did not have a say in the matter. Taylor claims that she had been trying to buy her masters. I don't know what that means, what trying looks like exactly, um, but was not allowed or didn't wind up doing it because she says, I think, that they just couldn't reach a deal that she liked. Scooter Braun uh, or, and Scott Borchetta claim that she had ample opportunity to get these masters, uh, and they sort of challenged Taylor on some of her claims and of course, there's the whole Scooter Braun and Kanye West, and there's sort of the Taylor Swift discussion that everybody you know has an opinion on. I, I don't super care about that. I'm really more interested in the ramifications of what she's doing now. Right. Um, same, Tim. Because yeah, there's. Uh, I'm not. You know, this is this is ear buddies, a serious pod for serious people. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm not that concerned with like. I suppose the drama for itself. You know, it's. It yeah. is. I mean, it is drama. It is dramatic. Uh, but it's. It's going to make. Uh, I mean, what Taylor's doing is something that is, as far as I know unprecedented and as you're listening to this episode her the first one of these six albums is out she released it uh, fearless which was her second studio album as a big machine recording artist now she has re-recorded it gone into the studio and basically tried to i mean almost perfectly recreate the version of the album that she recorded way back when. So these are not remixes, right? They're not, nope. uh, you know, sort of um, new versions in the sense where she's adding, you know, new instrumentation or maybe singing it in a different key or, or whatever else. Like, she, her goal is to make these sound as close to the original as possible. Because since she owns the publishing, right, 
she's allowed to record those songs, um, and it's no, you know, it's not a big deal. What she wants to do is have the physical copy, right, of of these new songs and of the records that she's re-releasing. She wants those to be the definitive version of those songs. Right? She wants those to get streamed. She wants those to get put in advertising. She wants people to listen to those. Because if you listen to the old stuff, guess who you're giving your money to? Scooter Braun. That's right. That's right. Scooter and, you know, some sort of venture capital firm. Um, And so that doesn't matter to you and me, Tim, to two consumers, right, who are... Uh, it's it's no real skin off our nose if well, I we wanna, are. I want to get into that in a sec, but keep going. Right, right, okay. So, I mean, as a as a music listener, it's not like it really affects you, right? No. But as a fan of Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. perhaps, or a a fan of uh, musicians and artists and writers um, getting paid. Um, and getting sort of their dues for the work that they've done, the art that they've created, it should, I would argue, matter to you. So here's the new version of Love Story, which is technically called Love Story, Taylor's Version. This song was the first, it was her lead single, I guess, if you want to call it that. It It was the first song that she released as part of this process. recording process must have been really interesting because you're asking extremely talented studio musicians to just photocopy yep to just do it again do it again exactly and what's most interesting to me is like so i i paused and went to the old version and back to the new version and to the old version and to the new several times just to try to pick out where the little differences are and the thing is, her voice is more mature, and there's nothing she can do about that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there are a few, like, there are breaths that are slightly different. She holds a few notes just a little longer or shorter than the old version. But by and large, this is pretty much the same song sung by a more mature artist and I would actually say that like the drums sound a little better too it's like a there's just a fresh coat of paint on on this original song it's it's wild to me that she's really like doing all this because that's got to be a lot of work uh, for a lot of people but um, she is in effect saying that she is going to do whatever it takes to own her own work. So here's the thing, man. Taylor, we have, you and I, have been buddies for a long time, and we have thought about the genius of Taylor Swift for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a smart thing that she's doing. If you look at the album cover of the new Fearless, it's like a golden version 
sort of in a mirror image of the original album artwork. But she's just, she's older. She's more of a demigod. By the time she records the sixth and final one of these albums, like, I feel like the album art is going to be, like, gazing upon the face of God or something. (laughs) Like, just the way that she is just in complete command of everything, and she can go into the studio and do this and, you know, fight back against something that she disagrees with and essentially change the whole music industry in the process, maybe. It's amazing. The thing, what I try to do when thinking about Taylor Swift, which is often, um, <laughs> I I don't like to be sucked into the, into her narratives, right? Like, I, pref- I prefer to... Um, just not deal with that in as much yeah. as I can. Like, for example, when, I don't remember exactly what the, the details were here, but, you know, a couple of years ago, there was that thing where she, like, was mad at, who was it, Spotify or Apple or somebody? Oh, yeah. There was a whole deal of, like, now Taylor is available for streaming on just one of these services, and it was, you know, breaking news. Right. And that, like, you know, she's done th- many things like that, and a number of them have seemed like, you know, sort of everybody's bread gets buttered type things. Um, Mm -hmm. But this, Tim, this does feel different. And I'll tell you what what makes this, I mean, I I don't want to argue the authenticity of it really either, but what makes this kind of hit home um, for, I mean, me and you and a lot of people Mm -hmm. is that Taylor is doing something right now that, only Taylor can do. And what I mean by that is, so when she started out, she signed a deal with Big Machine when she was, I want to say 16, maybe 15, and it was for 13 years Hmm. in 2017, then I think it would have been, maybe 2018, she was out of that deal, right? So mm-hmm. it all went according to plan. But she didn't own her masters. And the thing is, that is what happens to most artists who sign with a label. The reason that the structure works this way, like you might add, like, why, if you're an artist, why would you agree to a deal like that, right? Well, it's, sure. I mean, the answer, correct me if I'm wrong, is because not everyone takes off like Taylor Swift. And so it there is some inherent risk for the label, right? Like they're fronting some money and they're promising to promote you and do these things. So that's, it's kind of their take after giving you whatever right. uh, resources. Yes. Yeah. And, and like, you know, another reason too, that like you would, one might do that. And people often do as, as young uh, artists is because they give you money. I mean, they give you a cash yeah. advance um, and you, you know, depending on what it is, like you're richer than you've ever been. Uh, you've got a label behind you promoting your work and using all their resources to, you know, get you famous because they want you to get famous because they're invested in you. And if you don't make the money mm-hmm. back for them, that's a loss. Uh, for Big Machine, uh, you know, Taylor rode that horse past their wildest dreams, I'm sure. So here's a question that I have, and I don't know the answer to. I, I, I don't know if you have the answer, but it feels like 
it could be the start of something bigger. Sort of um, maybe the start of a trend of artists saying, I won't give you the rights to my masters. I want to retain them. And if you won't let me keep them, I'm just going to record on my own. But is that even possible? Like, is the infrastructure there for a new artist who needs who's trying to break out and become a big deal, right? Is the infrastructure there for them with Spotify and Apple Music and SoundCloud and whatever else to and TikTok to to just blow up naturally and be able to retain ownership of all your stuff without the help of a label or is that basically a pipe dream? Oh man, I mean if you're a musician or if you're, if you're an artist and you're trying to, you know, make it, um, you are asking yourself that constantly. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible for someone to blow up on their own. I mean, and to go back to like Lil Nas, right? He yeah. was not signed uh, when that blew up. He was just good at marketing and TikTok and whatever else. Like that was great for him but then what happened mm-hmm. after that was he signed a deal for a lot of money because he a had already sort of proven himself as uh you know a uh, a trusted hitmaker and also yeah. ha- had the power then to you know to actually change the terms to suit him better than the label even um when was it when Cardi B came out with Bojack Yellow <laughs> She wasn't with the publisher, and uh, Sony Music Publishing signed her to the, you know, their their publishing arm. Like, I don't know, a couple weeks or a couple months later, mm-hmm. they don't release the terms usually of these deals. But I guarantee that that was a good deal for her, or at least much better than it would have been had she been like Taylor, you know, 16 and without a bunch of money or a bunch of fame because at that point if you want the money and if you want the resources and the connections uh it's hard to say no to even if they say yeah well we're gonna own these forever uh which is which is often what they say usually it's you know in perpetuity they get your recordings and there's nothing you can do about that if you want to sign with that label If I am a conscious music consumer and I know what's happening with Taylor, am I making an ethical decision by listening to the old version of her music now? Like, is there are there ethics involved here for me, the consumer? Uh, Tim, I would say, yes, there are. But also, there truly is no ethical consumption under capitalism (laughs) and that's kind of funny of me to say and you know you're allowed to laugh but this (laughs) an artist or a writer um, Mm -hmm. is a worker to the point where record labels essentially consider them employees and have argued in court against giving masters uh, against, against returning masters to their artists because they say there's nothing to return. 
they never owned that, right? That is literally hmm. one of the one, uh, a chief argument that they make. And under you know uh, a capitalistic viewpoint, they're right. Like these artists signed these deals and knew, you know, for I mean, hopefully for the most part, knew yeah. what that entailed. And so in creating their art, they were not just creating their art. They were creating a product, um, creating capital for their employer, uh, the record label. Um, so I really, you know, I think that it's important to, to understand or at least to be able to view um, creative work, right, in uh, the same way that we, or a similar way that we do uh, I guess manual labor or finance or whatever the heck because that uh, is work and I don't I don't mean work in the sense of it's hard to do although that you know gets in there too I mean it's someone's effort um, mm-hmm. and even if it's art it's still you know their job that's what they're doing and they want to make money from it and so mm-hmm. you know they are owed their dues. I have a sneaking suspicion, bro, that half the episodes we do are going to come down to, you know, labor issues, ultimately. <laughs> well, and, and... And the plight of the worker, you know? Right. Well, and that's... It's, it <laughs> is so much that. I mean, that that's yeah. what makes the, the world go around. And music, like a song, is so different than anything else it yeah doesn't really exist right it's not a tangible product yet it is still a product you can really see the thread work of the fabric of society here and, and realize that we're all just playing a weird game when when you get into what's the difference between a song and the master of that that's such a weird oh difference. yeah it's, it's crazy that we're that we've all agreed to it kind of it really is just an attempt to commodify, to use that word for the second time in two eps, uh, <laughs> art. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, that's not wrong in itself because if, mm-hmm. you know, if it is your work, then yeah, absolutely get paid for it. But the the distinctions that are made um, are either, are they so often confusing or just like don't make sense? The two big names right now in publishing uh, and like selling songs, Bob Dylan sold his entire catalog for between 300 and 400 million. And then the news just dropped like a week or so ago that Paul Simon sold his entire catalog to Sony. And so what that means hmm. now is that, uh, you know, they're just increasing their, like the, you know, Sony and I think it was Universal are increasing their wealth uh, by a lot because now uh, if I play Bridge Over Troubled Water and put it on YouTube I'm not paying Paul I'm paying Sony and so I think you know these are things where these artists and writers are maybe when it's getting near the end of their careers uh maybe they would rather have 300 million than just the rights to their songs, which, you know, fine. You yeah, do what sure. you want. At that uh, point, all the songs you've written, that's just your 401k, basically. It's like, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, yes, and you provide for your, you know, descendants or whatever you need to do. 
But yeah, you want to uh, live out your sunset years in comfort, yeah, Paul. With, I get yeah. it. I mean, if you get that much money from it, then fine, I guess, you know. But, <laughs> but when it's at the beginning of, you know, someone's career, mm-hmm. it is a huge, huge deal um, to own those rights. Um, even uh, Dolly Parton wrote, "I will always love you," right? Yeah. She, play, she played it for Elvis. Elvis wanted to cover it and put it on one of his albums. And his manager told Dolly later, he was like, you know that Elvis has to get half the publishing on everything he does, right? And Dolly said, I did not know that. You can't have the song. Huh. Unbelievable. Like, that's, I mean, that's a real integrity move there because I would probably yeah. let Elvis have half of my one of my songs. <laughs> but, you know, and not everyone is Dolly Parton. Not everyone makes those decisions um and when you don't make those decisions as an artist you are you know i mean the rich get richer uh and you (laughs) have to hope that your career gets to the point where you can do something about it can't wait to get to our dolly parton episode though bro that's coming up it's in the notes coming up it's gonna be fun uh okay ear buddies will return in just a moment i took a chance took a shot and you might think I'm bulletproof but I'm not you took a swing I took it hard and down here from the ground Ear Buddies is brought to you by Rachel Hollis the author of several fine works of literature including Girl Wash Your Face Girl Stop Apologizing and didn't see that coming and I gotta say, Matt, I did not see Rachel's sponsorship coming. This is this is a surprise. No, well, look, I mean, the deal was uh, she knows that we've been fans and and supporters of her work for a long time, um, and frankly, Tim, after after the week she's had, uh, she needs a little a little bit bit of rehabilitation, and she's reached out to us to. Uh, to do that for her yeah so um we are obligated then to uh, play you this uh, here's rachel okay yesterday i was doing a live stream and i mentioned that there's a sweet woman who comes to my house twice a week and cleans she's my my house cleaner she cleans the toilets someone commented and said you are privileged af and i was like you're right i'm super freaking privileged <sighs> but also i worked my ass off to have the money to have someone come twice a week and clean my toilets and i told her that and then she said well you're unrelatable <gasps> what is it about me that made you think i want to be relatable Woo! no sis literally everything i do in my life is to live a life that most people can't relate to most people won't work this hard most people won't get up at 4 a.m Most people won't fail publicly again and again just to reach the top of the mountain. Literally, every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. If my life is relatable to most people, I'm doing it wrong. I mean, what else is there to say, I guess? (laughs) Um, You know, I don't... (laughs) Rachel, thank you for uh, sponsoring us this week. (laughs) But I I can't get behind that. 
<sighs> this, this is what we thought, Tim. This is what we thought yeah, back man. when we were reading that book. <sighs> Dude, you're so right. It's... We gave her... We were so right. We gave her so much rope. We gave her the benefit of the doubt <laughs> over and over and over in those chapters. Yeah, We really tried to relate to Rachel, but she herself is unrelatable. She says so. I mean, I, what, do you, what do you even... What do you say to that that we haven't already sort of commented on in our, in our book club? Like, <sighs> Rachel... Uh, we super freaking privileged. Okay, that's thank you for the admission. Yeah, but once again, she comes back to the thing about how hard she works and how you know she's up at four a.m. and most people aren't willing to do this and whatever else. And <sighs> it's like uh, there's uh, she's spiraling, man. She's just spiraling. She, it's so it's so frustrating that Rachel Hollis, um you know did some things right and wrote a book with long paragraphs followed by single sentence paragraphs and found success it's just the chaos theory you know is is born out in Rachel Hollis's success she is where she is in part because she is privileged and it's not because she wor- works so hard. It, that's not the reason that she's in the position she's in. What's blowing my little mind is that <laughs> this is the first sort of uh, pushback she's gotten, at least at least in this, so public a, a venue, and she is handling it as poorly as I expected. <laughs> I should we should have wrote a we should have written a book called did see that coming about how Rachel Hollis was going to have a horrible 2021 because we could all tell. It took her a few days, by the way, uh, after she went off on Instagram about how she's just like Harriet Tubman and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Oprah Winfrey, mm-hmm. etc. Yes. She, it a few days later, she finally got back on the gram and said, quote, I'm so deeply sorry for the things I said in my recent posts and the hurt I have caused in the past few days. I know I've caused tremendous pain in mentioning prominent women, including several women of color, whose struggles and achievements I can't possibly understand. By talking about my own success, I diminished the struggles and hard work of many people who work tirelessly every day. I disregarded the people whose work, whose hard work doesn't afford them financial security, often due to inherently racist and biased systems. I did not allow a space for people to voice their anger, hurt, and disappointment, which caused even more pain. I acknowledge my privilege and the advantage I have as a white woman, no matter how I grew up. So, she's really, really sorry. And indeed, it seems that she is just now, for the first time... (laughs) four books or whatever in hearing yeah. hearing someone say to her not everybody who gets up at 4 a.m. can write a bestseller exactly that's what's so funny to me about that apology uh and you know we ought to let people apologize and grow yes. and that's important and i'm not gonna you know smash down every apology i see but it is funny <laughs> because uh the books that you wrote 
don't like they say otherwise rachel you you didn't leave a space for anybody in those things you know you you insisted that if we simply kind of put our minds to it and held the hand of jesus christ that things would be great um and now how how are that's that's how is she figuring this out now her next book is going to be called oh i understand now I bet that's literally what she's going to call it. And it's just going to be a redaction of her last books. It just must be, it must be amazing to be able to learn these fundamental lessons about life and society in 2021 on the bestseller list actively. Just. Yeah. Now, baby, that's privilege. (laughs) Rachel Hollis, uh, who um, gave us a little bit of money. In exchange for some free press. Well, not free. I mean, she paid for it. Uh, Some press. Uh, She is... She's having a rough one. So if you can keep her in your thoughts, I bet she would love that. Girl, stop apologizing. (laughs) Rachel Hollis. Ear Buddies is back. And it's time for show and tell. Bro, this was a tough one for me. This is hard to decide what to what to talk about with I mean Ugh. there's so much You're telling there me are man. so many directions to go here with Taylor. Yes. I am going to play a song from her fourth album, and in my opinion, her best album. A song I am excited to hear her uh, redo someday called Holy Ground. I was reminiscing just the other day While having coffee all alone And Lord, it took me away Back to a first glance Feeling on New York time Back when you fit in my poems Like a perfect rhyme Took off faster than a green light go Yeah, you skip the conversation When you already know I left a note on the door With a joke we'd made And that was the first day And darling, it was good much to say i just love this song i like to listen to it i don't know i don't know what i want what i want to say about it you know what i mean i do know what you mean this album is phenomenal this kick drum it's perfect this just grooves taylor was the album red i think was the sweet spot for taylor swift in terms of yes songwriting meets production Yep. Meets genre bending. I mean, there are some things that really show their age on this album. Like, I knew you were trouble. It's sort of the dubstep influence yeah. that she was, that wave that she decided to try to ride in 2012. Yeah. That yeah. shows its age. But then she follows it with songs like All Too Well mm. and Holy Ground and Begin Again. There are just, it's some of the best. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus writing she's ever done. It re- no, it really is phenomenal. And I mean, this so this was the first album that she was working with uh, Max Martin on. That's right. Um, and some of the like you know the real pop producers. But what I love about it, as, as you mentioned, is like it is the sweet spot. It's not 
1989. Uh, that was, I, I want to say, right after this? Yep, it was. Yep. So, right. So that continued, you know, her working with uh, Max and a, and a bunch of the Swedish pop masters. And it sounded like it, and she meant to do that. And it's a great album, too. Uh, but this is just a real... I wish it hadn't been su- such an ending point for this kind of sound for her. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, I could have done with a couple a couple more like this with, you know, the real drums and the kind of a little bit of a country vibe there. But, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for this album, for her to redo this album, I would yeah. say, above above all else. So, there you go, Holy Ground. I mean, it's not like, I wouldn't even say it's my favorite Taylor Swift song, but... It's just an example of some of just some of the magic that was on this album. 2012 was a great year for Taylor Swift. What uh, what do you have this week? All right, so uh, like you, Tim, I had a very difficult time with this assignment. Um, just so you know, who, you know Rob Sheffield. He's a, a Rolling Stone music journalist, and he is a big fan of Harry Styles and Taylor Swift, which is why I respect him didn't as a he, music journalist. Didn't he rank every Taylor Swift song? He sure did. And I I, I read through most of them mm-hmm. in trying to, to come up with something. We'll link and it in the show notes also. Here's here's I'm gonna I'm gonna do uh I'm gonna pull from something I did not expect myself to do. It is a song off of uh I'm going to say her worst album, Reputation. Wow. Okay. Listening for the best. My reputation's never been worse, so you must like me for me. This is Delicate off of Reputation. We can't make any promises now, can we be? But you can make me. It is perhaps the only song I like on that album. The production uh, doesn't do much for me. The lyrics don't do much for me. So really, what, what gets you? <laughs> right. Uh, look, Taylor, I really think her greatest gift is her ear for melody, for an earworm, right? Is it chill that you're in my head? Cause I know that it's delicate. Is it cool that I said all that? Is it too soon to do this yet? Cause I know that it's delicate. Yeah. Just, she can write a hook like, I mean, I don't even have a good analogy. Uh, and when she's on, she is on. And when she's not on, it's very frustrating, which is why I have, you know, such a complicated relationship with this woman. Uh, and so, you know, the vocoder and the little sort of 808s and whatever, yeah, that's clearly in line with the reputation production, which is fine. Uh, but this chorus actually kicks. It's interesting to hear her bring her sense for melody to this style of production. Mm-hmm. That's 
when it works and when she is firing on all cylinders in terms of melody, yep. it's a real gift because it's like, oh, I can listen to, like, I'm getting an 808 song like this written by Taylor Swift. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, I just, I I can't believe how, I was I was just so bored by Reputation, and yeah. I know a lot of people were. Um, and it's like, I didn't hate it. It's just that I had nothing to, like, it didn't stick in my head. It didn't, uh really affect me in a way that I wanted it to, you know? I had a I had a firmly negative reaction to Look What You Made Me Do, and that that soured my interest in the album even, which is too bad. Because there are some good ones on there. I, it just yeah. took a long time for me to come around to them. No, I, re- I remember when uh, Look What You Made Me Do came out, I was like, I'm not going to listen to this album. I'm mm-hmm. intentionally not going to listen to it. And I didn't for like a year, I don't think. Yeah. I do have one... Uh, final Taylor Swift related plug um, Tim you know when you love a song and then you go uh, to a concert and they play that song live mm-hmm. with just some of the some of the best studio musicians around and it sounds insane mm-hmm. her song style which I would put in my top 20 at least mm-hmm. if not top 10 agreed uh sounds great on the record sounds really good however what i would suggest and perhaps we can put this in the show notes too is that uh everyone go to youtube and you check out the reputation tour video um that taylor swift released i want to say two years ago maybe let's just check it out right now <laughs> There are no rules here, bro. We can. I have another song I want to play anyway, so here. I let's think just, I think you're gonna like this. Okay, let's. Yeah, I've never heard this before. about that yeah it blew my head off (laughs) I know oh amazing so man even listening to that now getting chills that's how good is that makes the song itself like 40 times better for Whew. me. She is I know an it. absolute superstar. She's a monster. She's so good. I just want to... Okay, if you got to do two, I'm going to do two. Just You can just, do one more. Just to say... It's Taylor that, Week, man. Or just to reiterate, when she is firing on all cylinders melodically, there are like a dozen humans in history who can match what she could do. And she was doing this... She was doing this... Oh, man. Before I could drive. Yeah. Ugh. I was riding shotgun with my hair undone in the front seat of his car. He's got a Unbelievable. On the steering wheel. The right other here. All my heart. Look around mm, it's so smart. Says, Baby, something wrong. Say, to write something that simple. 
And then and this chorus. Perfect. This chorus. To write that at 14, 15, 16, whatever, are she, you uh, kidding me? She had she had, and has. I mean, I'll say had because at this point, it was the most pure just gift from God that she, like, it wasn't even developed. It was just instinct. Yeah. And she just, I mean, this, al- this album is great somehow. <laughs> you know, the whole album. Yeah, totally. It's, it's insane. It's unbelievable. I, I don't want to talk about her anymore because I'm, I have like four more songs <laughs> and we don't have the time. I know. But we just should, what a what a we'll, gal. We'll do we'll probably at some point do just a Taylor Swift gush fest episode. I would love that. Let's honestly, do that. Honestly, we should. Um cuz she's just as good as it gets when when she's when she's at maximum I, I don't know she's if anybody can match it. Nope. Past or present or future. I don't know. It's it's just all-time stuff. So that's Taylor Swift. And, um, I mean, I, I think we learned a lot today, Matt. What do you think? What did you learn today? Well, Tim, uh, I, learned I learned that that style, I'm going to, as soon as I hit stop on this recording, I'm going to go watch that whole style video. That rocked. I am too. I am too. Hmm. Um. I'm, yeah, I'm glad I could bring that to your attention and hopefully to the attention of a slightly wider audience. Um, I don't know, Tim. Beyond that, I feel like uh, you probably learned more than I did. I feel like I <laughs> really came out swinging and uh, made good use of my allotted time here. So I'm feeling, yeah, you t- feeling you, okay. As we said last week, I think you are a, a natural teacher. It's... It's sort of your natural, your your resting state is is that of a teacher, an educator. How true that is. <laughs> All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, buddy.